we're not here to change people. This is family. We're here to love people. And sometimes the hard stuff gets in the way of that. So to have that perspective, I'm here today to have the attitude that I'm going to love these people, whatever that looks like. And There's a great starting point. Intentionally yeah. think for each person, what could I say today that would encourage them? That's Dr. Mike Bechtel, and he joins us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. You know, John, this time of year is so full of family gatherings, which is great, but it also can bring some stress. Um, I'm not going to say, do you have certain stress? But... <laughs> we have some stress uh, associated with this <laughs> you season. You don't want to yes. name names. No. But the point is, you know, these are the extended family coming over, or you're going over to some family member's house for the holidays. and you got to remember the rules. you got to remember everybody's preferences. Yeah. And, and then when there's no rules, that's a problem, because uh-huh. then you're stepping on feet, and you don't know. And so today we want to equip you. And believe it or not, we get a lot of questions from the listeners about these kinds of experiences mm-hmm. where the in-laws are overstepping and you know they're over-parenting, we're the parents, not our parents, all that, right? So we'll get into some of that today with our special guest, Dr. Mike Bechtel, who is here to offer that practical advice. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned we hear a lot from listeners about this. This is a proactive uh, program for you. This is in response to listener insights and uh, questions. Dr. Mike Bechtel is a good friend who's joined us a number of times here in the studio, and he's an author, speaker, and blogger who specializes in communication and leadership training. Uh, He's written a book that serves as the basis for our conversation, People Can't Drive You Crazy If You Don't Give Them the Keys. That's a great (laughs) title, and we'd advise you to stop by the show notes, the program description, to find out more. Mike, welcome back to Focus. Well, thanks. It's always such a privilege. It's good to have you here, especially this time of year, so we can talk about these uh, touchy situations with extended family members. Now, let's just say it straight. I mean, some people within the family are better at pushing buttons Hmm. and stirring up drama than others. Uh, I guess the question is, why do we get so riled up about those that rile us up? Well, I think we all know how to push buttons. I remember when I was a kid going to museums, I didn't care what I saw, but if it had a button, (laughs) it would make something happen. And so I would just go around pushing buttons. But I think there's people that do that. And it's part of their temperament. If I know that I can bug you a little bit, then I pick up on it and I continue to do it. Okay, but uh, we are Christians for the Mm -hmm. most part. If you're not a believer, here's some insight to the church. But we're supposed to not push buttons or learn how to not Mm -hmm. push buttons, but to love people. Well, I'm also human. And you put those two together. Sometimes I do the things that I don't want to do, but or maybe I do want to do. So what factors are coming into play with, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, the holiday season? What are the factors that come into play that make this such a rich target? (laughs) You know, I think one of the biggest factors is expectations, because... Maybe we just have this picture in our mind that Christmas is supposed to be, like Amy Grant says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Mm. And we want it to be that way. And we want people to come over and everybody gets along. And Thanksgiving, they come together for a celebration. And maybe we don't feel so thankful about some of the people that are coming, but they're extended family. We have to invite them or we feel like we need to. And we kind of dread it because we know that they're going to be that little burr in the saddle, that, that piece of sand in your shoe that just makes things kind of hard. Now, you, you and Diane mentor couples. Uh, what do you hear with the seasons of marriage? What kind of comments are younger couple, mid-age couple, older couples? What do they say that has caught your attention? Well, usually I think when they're young, 
And especially when they first gotten married, we know that they're in love. They don't know everything that's going on. And then all of a sudden, the first thing that comes up is parents. <laughs> because you have two sets of parents with different expectations. And it shows up at the holidays because it's like, well, but you've always come to our house. Mm. And so, of course, you're going to do it this year. And the other parents are thinking the same thing. So how do we negotiate that? And then if you put a child in the, in the mix and they have the first baby, now it's made it, made it even more volatile because, well, this is my grandchild. You're going to raise him or her the way we raised you, right? And the other parents are thinking the same thing, but then you have your own ideas and somehow the holidays bring that out. And well, I, in that context with the younger couple, what do you say to them when they're going out? Our parents both want us to be there on the same day at the same time. Well, then we talk about wh what they have actually said. What are the words they use? And then we we talk about how do you negotiate that? It's like, we love you. We want to be at your house, but we also have our own family now. We're trying to build that. And so... Um, that's where the dynamics is bringing the elephant into the room and putting it on the table. Do you think, and we'll get on with the other couples at an older stage there, but sticking with the younger couple that's encountering this dilemma with in-laws, one of the solutions I often hear, and Jean and I didn't have to do this because my parents were gone, so we only had to go to her mom and dad's, and that was a good thing. The point of that is uh, one solution is to alternate year by year. So one year you go with one set of parents, the next year, is that typically the solution that works? It's a pretty good one. Usually the, both sets of parents are grumpy at first because it's like, no, I don't want to be the off year. Hey, we got to give a little here. And, and, and you do, and it's hard, but those are those tough conversations. That's what we yeah. ended up doing. We had them in different states, and so we couldn't be in proximity. But we would, do, we would still go see the other family, but not on Christmas Day or not on the holiday, not on Thanksgiving. So Yeah. So when you're looking at, again, the, uh, the years of being married and the things you encounter, so that's the young couple that's figuring it out. Now talk to the parents of those young couples. Mm -hmm. What are they griping about? The fact that they don't get their way as much. Because we have certain ways that we expect our kids to perform. I mean, we raise these kids. And if they do anything different than how we raise them, it's like it feels like a slap in the face mm. because it's like, well, wasn't it good enough what we did with you? Why are you trying to do it differently? Mm. And it's a it's a personal thing. So we talk to those parents about reevaluating how their perspective is. It's like, okay, there have been changes. And, and it's to be able to do that in a way that uh, affirms them shows there's a respect in the family that your kids still care about you, but we need to find new wineskins, new mm. ways of making this work. Now, the people that seem to really get this is grandma and grandpa. Somehow years mellow them out, typically, not always. Mm. So what do you hear from older couples that have adult children that are now, you know, parenting adult children? Yeah, well, they've, <laughs> they probably went through all those challenges with their kids, and so they have negotiated it, and they've survived. They've come through it, but mm. now they're just wiser. They know what worked, what didn't. You learn to pick your battles at that age as well. And we're at that stage because we have our grandkids, we have our kids, and we have told them, and it's worked really well, we had to give it up, give up our expectations and say, you know, you have your own family. And so this needs to be for you. We want to see you at Christmas time. We're not demanding that everybody spends the night on Christmas Eve in their jammies. And then the next morning, we're all together with fruitcake. It's, uh, it's a matter of accepting the fact that these things have changed. And when you get to that stage, we're not, we've realized they're not going to do it our way all the time. You have five characteristics of family drama. So let's unveil those five characteristics. Okay. One of them is emotion that 
when there's family drama, it you feel something. The second one is people. That we the drama comes from other people usually. It's of course, some, always other people. Well, even if it's <laughs> even if it's an event, if it's something that happened, someone was involved in making that happen. Right. And so so that tends to bug us the unmet expectations. Third is unexpectedness. It's almost always something we didn't expect. And so we're doing okay for a while, but then when the doctor uses the word terminal or when the police call at midnight about your teenager, you weren't expecting that either of those. And it changes, it brings a new level of drama into your life. Let me describe one of those, like when somebody brings the green beans with onions or whatever, and someone goes, does anybody ever eat those? It usually doesn't go down well with the person who brought it. Well, I'm going to scoop a little on the trash and put it back. It looks like it's... See, that's wisdom. That's grandparenting wisdom right there. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, The the fourth one is uh, personal impact. Crazy things happen in our world, but not all of them impact us. If the head of a corporation is embezzling funds, we don't think too much about it unless it's the corporation we're in and it's our retirement funds. Now it's become personal. And the last one is they tend to be exaggerated. Because when drama happens, we we often blow up a situation in our minds beyond the reality of the mm-hmm. event. And um, so those are the kind of things yeah. that fit. Let's get in. And throughout this time together, I'm going to bring in three or four examples of things people have contacted our counseling team mm-hmm. and asked us. So I'm going to throw it at you, and you can help us all. One of those questions that we received is, how do I deal with my family's differing political views. This is a touchy one, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when they're pretty argumentative about it. I mean, you're sitting around watching probably the Dallas Cowboys and somebody play, and then all of a sudden somebody's going to say, you know, what do you think of President fill in the blank? And here we go. When they've come to your house for this event, then you can't control what they're going to bring up. I can control how I respond to it. I can control if I engage with it or not. I can just say, Say, you know, today I'm not going there or we're not going there. And now they may argue back because they want to they just want to bring it up. It's like, no, today is the politics free day. We're talking football today. Okay, that's one way to handle it. If we do want to engage with them, I don't want to get defensive and get caught up with them because then they're calling the shots if they feel that strong. Mm -hmm. And I'm just feeding into it. And I want to make sure that doesn't happen. So I will listen and I'll say things like, that's an interesting perspective. I don't share that perspective, but it's just interesting hearing. In fact, tell me more about, and I'll ask him a little deeper. Yeah, ask so some questions. Because that good. way I'm caring, I'm listening, yeah. they feel heard, they feel respected, but I have shared with them in the midst of that. I don't share that belief, but I'd love to hear more about yours. So you have this, uh, moving to the next thing, this Aunt Marge. I would see it more as my stepdad, who actually did a white glove test every Saturday morning at our home. For dust? So, for dust. It's a true story. Oh. And hanging up your jacket. He made me hang up my jacket 500 times. That's a true story. And I was dumb enough to do it. At one, two. I should have just sat in my bedroom and yelled the number out because he wasn't watching me. But I was a good kid, so I hung that jacket up 500 mm-hmm. times. You go into my closet today, everything's pretty neat and tidy on my side. I won't talk about Gene's side. But <laughs> um, the point of that is uh, the Aunt Marge that comes in. And starts going, oh, dear, what happened? This looks a little dusty. Or, hmm, you sure you want to put that there? You know how the comments go. How do you manage that when you're trying to get the meal prepared, probably, and you're going, Aunt Marge, can you just um, do something else? Well, one way is to give direct answers. If she, if Aunt <laughs> Marge, yeah, if Aunt Marge says, can't you put that there? Just go, no. <laughs> and walk away. And, and yeah, just leave it. 
because those quick answers sometimes will throw them off because you're not engaging with them in it. But at the same time, my wife was the same way. When we first got married, she is was one that, because of the way she was raised, she's extremely clean. Uh-huh. And we went to someone's house for dinner, and we're sitting on the couch while they, they said, we'll be right back. And the coffee table was dusty. She started dusting it with her hand. I said, this is not our table. You don't have to do that in their house. And she still, to this day, likes things in place. And if I put, sometimes I'll move something over a little bit just to see what she does. I'll come back a little bit later, it's been moved back. Because it's it's her default setting from how she was brought up. And so I don't try and change that, but I can mention it. We talk about it. We even laugh about it. Uh, Mike, in your book, you write about the Relationship Survival Kit. What's in that? Well, I've got several things I thought of. One is perspective that if we can make sure we have the right perspective on things, look at ourselves honestly, and we might discover some of the reasons we do the things that we do. And that's when, if it's something deep-seated, that's the purpose of counselors, like you have here at Focus. It's the purpose of therapy. And just um, recognizing that maybe our perspective, we believe that what we see is accurate, mm-hmm. but it may not be. But if I believe it's true, like if I, if I believe something is true, do I really want your opinion on it? because I think mm. I'm right. And so if I think I'm right, it's good to challenge the perspectives. And in relationships, to be able to stand back and say, what's really happening? They're bothering me, they're driving me crazy, but am I the one that may have a, the wrong perspective? Well, yeah. and are you the one suffering from that because they could care less yeah. that yeah. they're driving you crazy, <laughs> oh, exactly. which is the title of your book. Well, it's the same thing, like if you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off and then you start, like when I was a kid, I used to tailgate them to punish them. Just to show them. To show them, yes. And I found out they didn't know I was tailgating him. Well, that's the core thing, right? It makes you bitter and angry and they're not trapped at all. They wouldn't know any worse. Well, another part of it is just other people. We need somebody to challenge our perspective, to provide insight, to give the right to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And so to invite other people's perspectives into my own so that I don't just assume that I'm always correct. I might believe I am, but it's good to have other people and invite them to do that. So Uncle Mike, what is it about the gravy that you don't like? Yeah, if they, if they say, what is it about the gravy that you don't like? I can tell them what I don't like about it, but I don't make a big thing of it. It's a taste, and they, right. they, it's different for them. Some things in life are tastes. Other things are bigger issues that we really do need to talk through because they impact other people. Yeah. Boundaries is a third one. That's the decisions that we make to protect our emotions. And in a family, we probably need them more than otherwise. It's almost like I knew one mom, and she was always criticizing her son-in-law, her daughter's husband. And they would get in these discussions and she would always say, well, why does he do it this way? And, and <laughs> why can't he be like this? And it would really upset the daughter. And finally, her daughter just set up a boundary, said, you know what, mom, I love him. And this is who I'm married to. And this is between him and me. And we're just not going to have this conversation. And the mom said, well, don't be foolish. It's, I'm just asking questions. And she said, well, that's fine. I appreciate your questions, but we're not going to talk about this. Mm. And then she said, well, then maybe I just won't talk to you anymore about things. I won't call you. And she said, well, I'll miss our conversations, but we're not going to have this conversation. She made a very simple statement and just repeated it. Didn't explain it, didn't go on. So to build something that says, this isn't going to happen here. And 
not have to try and explain it so somebody necessarily agrees with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, we've talked a lot about surviving these get-togethers, and that's specifically what we're talking about, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, uh, the holiday season. But what are some ways we can spin them to be more positive? I mean, we're touching on that, kind of make your declaration, but uh, you mentioned seven keys to healthy relationships. So I think there's humility, joy, perspective, patience, kindness, sounds like the fruit of the spirit, mm-hmm. integrity, commitment. Um, just illustrate a couple of those, how we could deploy them at this critical time of family get together. Well, I think several of them, joy is one of the big ones. You want to have joy during the holidays. And it doesn't always happen because somebody else is bringing in the opposite. But to be able to just take ourselves lightly, to I think a lot of this has to do with preparation. <laughs> so true. To go into these holidays working on our mindset ahead of time that I'm going to go in controlling what I can, which is myself, my choices, my attitudes, my words, and not just be waiting for something to go wrong and then react to it and respond to it. I want to be able to make those choices. So to decide ahead of time, there's a lot of good things going on here. And I'm not going to let somebody just push my button and it's going to ruin everything. I'll decide how I'm going to respond, how I'm going to react. So thinking ahead of time. Yeah, there's a little illustration in the Bible about this when you look at Mary and Martha. And of course, Martha goes to Jesus and says, hey, can other people help me do the dishes yeah. here? I mean, that's that's probably one of the clearest mm-hmm. examples. And yeah. the Lord's like, well, you know, we can do the dishes anytime, but it's good to hang out with me right now while I'm with you. Yeah. That's, that's all paraphrase, obviously, but that was the essence of it. Yeah, and that's so good because there there are going to be hard times and there's going to be things that we don't like about certain people's actions and choices, but they're going to be there. There's also good stuff. Like the people that bug us the most, there are positive things about them. And sometimes we focus so much on the one thing that really drives us crazy, we forget to catalog the things that really are positive about them that if we can focus on that, move more towards gratefulness, that can change a lot of things in there, which goes back to one of them. I think probably my favorite is kindness. Yeah. Because it's the lubricant that keeps people functioning well together. And it says in scripture that God brings people to himself through his kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It doesn't say his truth. It doesn't say his power. There's a lot of things that you'd say, well, what about truth? Tell people what's right. It's like, but the thing that brings people to Christ is his kindness. It's so interesting to me that that one was selected out of everything else. So I try and pull that into the family situations, extended family. What if I made it my goal during the holiday season, when they're there or when I'm with them, to find ways to bring kindness, to speak kindness, even if it's the smallest little encouragement, some kind of a word to each person in the room sometime during the event. It seems that in families, there's this formula, though. The closer you are, you you know, you express a lot of kindness to outsiders. You know, your friends, perhaps, or certainly your friends at a distance or acquaintances. You're super kind. And then as things get a little closer, that kindness can dry up a little bit. You're more direct. You're telling them what you think with your family, let's say your spouse, your kids, whatever. Um, it does seem to work that way. How do we treat those closest to us like we would treat somebody a little further and a little more distant? Do you guys, first of all, do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I do. Because mm-hmm. it, it goes back to dating relationships. You're on your best behavior because you're oh, yeah. trying to, to say the right things and do the right things so they will like you. And then you marry them. And then over the years, it's like you've gotten comfortable and you can start 
being a little snarky or sarcastic and you're joking because you know that they're going to be okay, but they may not be okay at that moment. You never know when a casual word you might say can take them over the edge or go back. That's why Ephesians 4.29, I think, says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. The interesting part of that phrase to me is it's assuming they're in there. It, it, it doesn't say. Okay, that's a good point. It doesn't say. Well, don't think about these things. It's like you're going to be. You're human. You're going to be bugged at somebody. Don't let these things out yeah. when you want to say them. It's Keep just those thoughts to yourself and only use words that are edifying that build up someone according to their need at that moment. And I think in that kind of a setting, if I go in with that scripture, with that verse in my mind, it's like okay, there's stuff I could say, but. Just don't let them out. Yeah, you know, again, look, thinking of Scripture, thinking of Jesus in those situations. You know, with the sinner, he was asking questions, pointing out things somewhat indirectly sometimes, just asking a question, right? And then other times, like with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was aggressive. He was very direct. You brood of vipers. You whitewashed walls. Why do you teach people these things? So describe that kind of behavior coming from the Lord in mm. terms of how he dealt with different people. Well, I think the key is almost what came out of that verse is he's dealing with people in their moment of need and what mm. they need in the moment. Some people need a rebuke in the moment. Now, I'm not going to put that on family too much because in, at Christmas time, that's not the time to fix Uncle Joe. That's a long-term relationship. But it's one thing to be at the zoo looking at the gorillas playing and it's kind of fun but at the same time once you go into the exhibit and you're with them it feels different and there's more (laughs) stuff going on well and i hear you all throughout this conversation mike saying you know have a mind that says i'm going to help things be healthy in other words maybe that uncle says something and we don't rebuke him publicly we redirect him where we change the subject quickly and everybody knows i mean most people have had those awkward moments where it's like uh what are we going to do and instead of uh, letting him go on, you maybe just redirect or point something else out. Uh, that's that's kind of wisdom, isn't it? Well, and I think especially during the holidays, if we're having a holiday gathering, redirecting is a good technique. In life as a whole, you may want to go some other directions, but this is not the time to solve all of the family yeah, issues that have come up. That's good. It's like we're trying to survive that day or thrive <laughs> in that day. Yeah, that's a good question too. At the end of the day, when you're putting the things away together and you're thinking about how good or how not so good the day went, what would you want to aim for? Mm-hmm. I, I like that idea because that kind of frames it for me at the beginning of the day. I don't think I do that enough with Gene to say, okay, before we get going today, Thanksgiving, what picture do you have in mind? And I probably am one of the perpetrators of popping her bubble in that way. And I should ask ahead of time. I think before and after, because before we want to ask and talk about what do you want the day to look like? And what are the potential things that could go wrong? And if they do, what are we going to say? We help each other in that way. And then afterwards, to go back with gratefulness and say, what were the best parts of the day? What surprised you? What went really well? That final drill down here. So what are people, what do you want them to walk away from uh, with the holiday seasons upon us? What should they be? How should they be thinking? We've talked a little bit about it, but what's your perspective? Well, of everything we've talked about, the two big ones that always stand out to me for a holiday event or season is um, you're not going to fix other people. You can't change somebody else. You can't force them to change. Should we write that on a sticky and put it on the bathroom mirror? Yeah. <laughs> that day, don't <laughs> fix your relatives. <laughs> and and that's there, there's a verse I always wanted to put on a plaque on our guest room wall 
that's uh, Proverbs twenty five seventeen. It says, "Let your foot seldom be in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you." <laughs> that's not a good guest room. <laughs> you leave no. that in the guest and, and, and Diane didn't think that was a good idea. A but, wise woman, for but sure. to be able to to use that um, idea that we're not here to change people. This is family. We're here to love people, and sometimes the hard stuff gets in the way of that. So to have that perspective, I'm here today to have the attitude that I'm gonna. I'm going to love these people, whatever that looks like. And There's a great starting point. Intentionally yeah. think for each person, what could I say today that would encourage them? Yeah, that's good. Mike, what a wonderful book. And it applies year-round. We're applying it to the holiday season. But this is for every day, every month, every year. Again, the title of the book is People Can't Drive You Crazy If You Don't Give Them the Keys. And love the title. You can get that directly from Focus on the Family. It's a terrific guide to navigating your relationships, placing boundaries, and having a more positive outlook. And when you donate today, a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of that book as our way of saying thank you for doing ministry through Focus on the Family. Yeah, and if I, if I may, just a quick illustration, Jim, about uh, the impact that we have. We heard from a listener, Judy, who said, I can't even begin to explain how Focus on the Family helped me over the years. I listened to the broadcast so much while raising my own daughters, and now that they have families of their own, they listen too. Focus has made such a difference in raising my kids. Well, I love hearing that we're making an impact. That's the payback for all of us, the donors who are helping us and us here at the ministry. You know, after this last year full of overwhelming uh, financial strain and social upheaval, global issues, hurting people could really use some hope. The upcoming Christmas season is the perfect time to share the hope that Jesus came to give us all. And you can come alongside those facing challenges and give families hope through your supportive focus on the family. Thousands of people reach out to the ministry for help by phone, mail, and email. Couples heading for divorce, parents who are stressed, and others in difficult situations. And you may be surprised to learn that less than 1% of our listeners give to focus. Can you imagine how much more effective we could be for God's kingdom if you helped us just double that number to 2%? Be a contributor. Do ministry with us by giving today. Donate and get a copy of the book, People Can't Drive You Crazy If You Don't Give Them the Keys, either by calling us, 800-A-FAMILY, or click the link in the program notes. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening today to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.